Hi, everybody. I'm Hugh Heisel, Broadway producer, performer, avid show tune listener, future cat dad, theatrical marker, and the current director of marketing at Broadway Record. Welcome to The World Behind The World To Come, a series of docu-shows that will explore the world behind the world to come. As in previous docu-shows, we are joined by our panel of uh, multi-hyphenate co-creators, director, showrunner, Rachel Klein, composer, orchestrator, Andy Peterson, and writer, narrator, Eric Ransom. Hello, everybody. Ahoy there. Hi, Hugh. Hello. Hello. So uh, let's get into this adventure. So uh, in the first four episodes, we were introduced to the world of the world to come, and we get to meet the main ensemble, learn about all the factions, and are really primed for the main plot. But in episode five and six, we really start to dive into the adventure that all of these people go into. So each of you, I, I would like to know what it's like to really get into this part of the story after establishing this entire world, which is huge. But now we get to really play. Well, for me, it's a brand new frontier because most times writing a musical, I'd be wrapping up around this point with the exception of Les Mis and such musicals. I know I've said that before. I love you, Les Mis. But <laughs> usually like at the 90 minute to two hour mark, which we've passed uh, or are passing in this section, everything would be tied up. You'd, you're like, you've gone on the main adventure. People have fallen in love. There've been a lot of songs. In this instance, we are just getting into the main quest. The fellowship has formed and now they're going out to do what fellowships do an adventure. We're visiting new parts of Fiveborough and meeting new characters. It's really exciting to be able to expand a musical to this level. I've never been able to develop anything near this extensive in this genre as we sort of veer into a slightly different genre with it. We're in a whole new world, so <laughs> play in all new ways. How about you, Rachel? What's it like to really define this world in new ways? Well, to find the the world, as we just discussed in the past, adapting my visual sensibilities into the audio sphere has been something really unique and really fabulous um, to have the, the challenge to learn to do. But um, in these particular episodes that we're about to discuss on the world behind the world to come, these episodes are the first time we're starting to, to go on adventures with the characters. Yeah. So we have met everybody. And as Eric mentioned, that we have the luxury of being able to really take that time to introduce each character, introduce the faction, the genre of which the character identifies with and kind of have a foundational understanding of what that world is. And now we're going off on adventures underground, adventures to the temple, and we get to meet more characters and more world expansion happens, which is really exciting. But it also sort of shows us what our current characters are made of when they're facing the challenge. That's great. How about you, Andy? What's it like to really dig into the adventure now that we've established who all of these enormous number of people that live in the world of former New York? It's exciting because the first four episodes have kind of set up some of the main themes of the whole show. And so by this point, I get to like really delve into expanding those themes and also creating new ones that will carry through as leitmotifs all the way through season one and beyond. And there's also a sense of relief because we've gotten through the first third of the season. So it's like we've done the first third. We kind of know what we're doing as we kind of get into a new world of creating musical theater. And so like there's that confidence of like we've done a little bit 
of this before. So we'll get better and better as we go on. I'd like to know that uh, from, from the three of you, the, the, the main creators of this, we have this world that we've established, right? But you're holding, you're, you've pulled some things back. You know, in episode one through four, we really meet everybody within the five boroughs, but we're holding some surprises back. And now we get to play with them. And we get to go places that we've never been. Have you been excited about, you know, what's up your sleeve? Or have you been discovering as you create this world and define it? Are you discovering new characters that weren't in the initial planning places that they uh, they come forth? Like they have to be now part of this because I, I see it now. What's been the process? For me, I mean, it's always like an excitement and a struggle because I have, you know, things... Uh, in my sleeve that no one on this call knows about, that no one in the world knows about. Oh. One of the things that really helps me flesh out the world is is my personality disorder. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm obsessive. I'm a very obsessive person, and I'm constantly thinking about this world, and I'm constantly developing it. I have a huge Google Doc of notes that I'm constantly adding to, or uh, if I'm driving uh, voice recordings. The compendium is just getting bigger and bigger of things that will be revealed at some point, maybe, and some things may be just so specific that no one will ever know them but me. I'm excited to see what happens and what's going to be, be, be coming out from this. I'm also waiting for the bobbleheads and all the action because this, this is right for them. <laughs> In episode five, we go beyond above ground. We go underground into the subtubes and uh, places that some of us like to spend time, some of us don't like to spend time. But there's this whole other multi-faction world down there where we get to meet uh, some wonderful people, including the prim and proper periodontist, which I love that, and the tuitionist. Where did the idea of the, the, the fascination with the tunes against the period people? What, what, uh, what does this stem from a nightmare or a uh, fabulous, like, what if kind of thing? Where, where did this come from? The tunianists are, uh, I mean, again, like, the, this is stuff that's up my sleeve and stuff that comes into the backstory, some of which we'll touch upon uh, moving forward because they're, uh, we've heard about the genre wars at this point, and the genre wars were a period in, uh, that, was very formative for these cultures. And a lot of them got driven underground when the factions that now rule sort of took hold. If you didn't either join those factions or join the roost, you were sort of exiled. And since the land of Lear, that was actually Scott Lilly's idea, who you'll meet later. He's our cartographer. So he came up with the idea of the land of Lear for L-I-R-R to the east or the, the Dreadolands lands and the hardened state to the west. Those are considered to be like horrifying, dangerous places. So people couldn't settle there. So the only place they could settle safely was underground. And so that's that's where that came from. And you'll learn a lot more about them, <laughs> all of those cultures later. Oh, I can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm fascinated so far. So, uh, Rachel, in, in the Tunianist rebellion or the fight with the Tunianists, there was a lot of impersonation. <laughs> there were indeed. To bring forth all of these, these lovely tunes. And a number of them are Hanna-Barbera kind of characters. But for you, are, 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 is uh, the Hanna-Barbera world something that you're fascinated with? For me, vintage tunes are, in, in general are something that I thoroughly enjoy from the Hanna-Barbera to, um, you know, Betty Boop and Popeye, etc. There's a melange of different flavors. Like we've also got some stuff from the 80s. We've got some Transformers from Mr. Eric Ransom. 
with the tuniness, there was an evolution. So it started out as we wanted. I, I was asking um, some of our brilliant voiceover actors to just give me some logistical stuff in um, ambiguous tune voices, like retreat, attack, you go get them, that kind of thing. And we have a hilarious compilation of those going on. Then we started getting more specific. And I mean, I think this started with Eric and I like drunk on the phone in the middle of the night as most great art happens. Right. And then I had remembered our fabulous producer, Mr. David Treatment, had told me that he had a pension for doing voices, specifically cartoon voices. So I texted him. I was like, hey, what are you up to? Because <laughs> tomorrow, can you send me a bunch of tune voices? I recall expecting like maybe three when he said yes to like make the time for this. And I woke up to like a Dropbox full of 50 different files, um, which I will let David speak about more in more specific detail if David, are you here, hon? Yes, I'm here. David, I, that's, I would love to bring David into the oh, conversation, hello. our fabulous producer of The World to Come. So uh, lo and behold, you're now going to be our, our cartoon voiceover uh, specialty, man. It's something that you've grown up with. It kind of started by accident. I would like recreating scenes from different shows and stuff like that. And um, I think I just accidentally discovered a bunch of different voices I can do. Some better than others, some better than others. But honestly, with this, maybe it's better to do some of the ones I'm worse at so we can avoid some copyright issues. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in the world of, of spoofing and, you know. Of course, of course. It's all fair game. So you and a few of the actors were actually asked to record a number of these how many do you think you came up with and what were some of your favorites oh geez i mean i came up with a bunch rachel did just ask for sort of general logistical things so i did some stuff like i know one of mike's favorites is um i took an underdog tagline and adjusted it to try to make it fit with the scene you know underdog famously says there's no need to fear underdog is here and i i think i said something like there is need to fear underdog is out of here or something like that. You know, so there was some, some fun of just coming up with what they would say. And then um, <laughs> it, it was quite late at night when Rachel asked for these and I am always on and off dealing with acid reflux. So a lot of this was just me trying to get takes I was happy with, because some of them are hard to do when you're reaching down for them if you're not properly hydrated. So <laughs> if I recall, you were hydrating with a glass of scotch. <laughs> I mean, that also didn't help for sure. It helped with the performances. It hurt with uh, how, it, how it felt to do them. <laughs> what was the most difficult one for you? Well, it's one of the ones I'm better at, but Popeye is hard to do if you're dealing with acid reflux. It's really down there, but it's like, I'm Popeye the sailor man. You know, so it's like really down there. Um, who was Snagglepuss? Because that came out of nowhere and I loved it. Eric, wasn't that you? Yeah. And that fits so well with this raid, which goes so against what we think cartoon you know, characters would be. Is like, they're fighters we are at war down there they're looney tunes those people and they're kind of vicious out of their minds these, these <laughs> tuning people when they're when they're down below so i would love to play a little uh i have a little treat for the, our listening audience we're gonna play some of this scene without the dialogue or music so you can hear all of the wonderful impressions that all of our voice order artists uh came up with listen Oh, 
That was fantastic. That was really, really great. So congratulations, David. Uh, you're a star. Sesame Street creators, if you're listening, uh, I'm available. So, <laughs> Speaking of, who would you love to uh, take over oh, as, a, as a character man. on Sesame Street? Take over? I mean, I really love Grover. I've always loved Grover. I feel like he's a very underrated Muppet. And uh, he's got he's got some great songs from back in the day, like Monster in the Mirror and things like that. So um, Grover would far and away, or The Count. Mm, love them. Love them. Well, as someone who worked used to work at Sesame Place, uh, there was a world for everybody. I, I was once a big bird for four days. <laughs> all, all my big birds went back to college, and I had to wear the big, giant yellow suit. But thank you very much, David. You were fantastic. And thank you for all your talents that you lent to this particular episode and everything that you do. So we'd like to, uh, to thank you. And uh, we look forward to more uh, surprises as we listen to more episodes, I'm sure. Oh, it is my pleasure. Loving the docusodes. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. So uh, let's talk about this vivid world that keeps on expanding. It's really, really fleshed out. What was the process like as you were developing and keep on developing this world? Andy, let's start with you. As the world kept developing, for me personally, I had to keep working out what genre of music was going to represent each land and each faction. That was a fun journey to go on because as a composer and arranger and orchestrator, it's so much fun to delve into like heavy metal for one episode and then go into like Gilbert and Sullivan for the next episode and really just like play around with every genre possible and as a composer just trying to find my own voice within the rules that are set for that genre so it was fun to play around with those sounds for each of the, the factions. Of these new sounds, was there a favorite that surprised you that came out that you weren't planning on having this particular genre of music, but it, it just fits so so brilliantly with the lyrics? I think actually episode six, the Oracle song, when Eric wrote the lyrics and wrote the, the song for that, he, I don't think, envisioned it the way that it had turned out. And so when he sent over the lyrics... I, for some reason, felt like it needed to be kind of a 90s rock song. Mm -hmm. And then once we got Lana Gordon in, uh, involved, I heard like her belt and I was like, I've got to put her up there ah. because our audience is going to love, love hearing her up there. <laughs> it, was, it was a surprise, but it was brilliant. I loved, I loved it. Eric, how about you? As we go into this vivid world, what's it like to keep on expanding this? I sort of touched on this earlier because I'm just an obsessive and I'm constantly thinking of it. One of the challenges I've been dealing with recently is sort of the part of world building I least like is figuring out timelines. But it's gotten to the point where I, I have to do that just for continuity now that we're dealing with a multi-generational story in a way. Moving forward in episodes that haven't aired yet, we're going to take a flashback to the genre wars so having to figure out like, oh, would this character be alive yet? Would this character be old enough to participate? So on and so forth. Those are things that have now been developed. And even beyond the genre wars, like sort of figuring out like from today to Five Borough, what are the like logical enough steps to get there in this admittedly campy and mostly comedic world? I do want it to be grounded. And so figuring out those specifics has been an interesting and new frontier for me yeah on, on a side story i was texting you earlier before we started this i was like give me some, give me some of the specifics on this which i which hasn't been explained in episodes that i've listened to yet mm -hmm. and you're like well you'll get to it you know it's coming up <laughs> that question mark it's so well planned that i'm just fascinated how things can fall into place when i can't foresee ahead of time what exactly is coming so uh, kudos 
you all you guys. Um, Rachel, how about you? What's it like to uh, continually expand this world? But also, it's so vivid. What has it been like for you? It's been really spectacular to use those other parts of my brain. Um, So I still see everything in my mind's eye as though I'm staging a proper musical or a film, you know, in person in the world that was. And then from there, I start to work with um, the fabulous sound team with our um, sound designer, Sean Haggerty, who you all heard speak a little bit last week on the program about his process. And he and I have been working together. We've figured it out for over 10 years. And we have a shorthand with developing like what the sounds sound like. And I believe he mentioned before um, that this is a show all about footsteps to grotesquely paraphrase. It's true. It's like, so I block the scenes and then he and I go through where every character is and every character has a different kind of footwear on. Yolanda is always in very expensive heels and, you know, you've got um, some people in sneaks some people in boots. And what does that texture sound like so that the audience, when they're listening, can be propelled into the universe? So that's sort of step one. And then as it expands further, when Andy adds the scoring and like does all of the mixing, it just it turns into this kind of lush, vivid world that, you know, I do my best to make sure it's reflecting what I'm seeing up here. And, and I, f- I feel like it is. I feel like it is. All right. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll introduce some of the stars of the world to come. Today's special guest for uh, the world behind the world to come. I'd like to welcome the world to come cast members, Brandon Hagenson, Scott Lilly, and Lana Gordon. Hello, everyone. Hey. Hello, 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 hello. You all look fabulous. Thank you. So uh, let's start with Brandon. So Brandon, you play the dashing, dapper dandy Darcy, Lord of South Ferry. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> what was it like coming into the role and joining this series five episodes in? Yeah, Darcy um, meets everyone a little later. Wait a minute, you're not British. No, I'm not British. Oh. I no, I, Well, I wake up British. When I'm my first cup of coffee, I'm American. <laughs> I have actually played um, British guys in Rachel Klein joints before. Darcy's quite different. He and the rest of the periodontists um, live in the subway. They've been relegated to live underground and none of the factions in the above world would accept them and their um, repressed ways of living. So um, 
Darcy and his fiance and his grandmother run into the fellowship in the uh, subtubes, the underground as they call them. And after the Tunianists raid, um, spoiler alert, Darcy decides to try his hand at going above ground and uh, joining the rest of the factions up above. He decides that um, this family that he's with is uh, not letting him be who he really wants to be. So he sings Take Me With You at the end of episode five and um, spends the rest of the season finding his way in the world above. Kind of like uh, Little Mermaid just wants to go. Yes. Right? Yes. Darcy is based on Ariel. Thank you, Hugh. I'm really glad you found that <laughs> in the episode. It just, it just came to me. So as, as the Lord of Southbury, did, did you do a lot of research in the Southbury area of uh, the island? No, I wish I could have. <laughs> I wish I could have gone to South Ferry, what with COVID and all, but no, he's, I mean, that's more of a, it's more of a, it's more of a title. It's just the same way that, you know, Charles is the Duke of Wales. How often does he go to Wales? How often does, (laughs) how often does Darcy really go to South Ferry? And my fiance is from Bowling Green. I doubt she goes there very often because you have to walk all the way through the J tunnels. I mean, it's just so far. Yeah. So joining episode five was really fun. The cast was so welcoming. All the kinks were worked out like technologically and everyone has already had already built the world. So it was really nice to um, start, you know, after everyone else had already made their way. That's great. Uh, so Scott Lilly. Hi, Scott. Hi. In the prior episodes, you have voiced quite a number of five Boreans, five Borovians. Five, five Borovians. Five Borovians. I'm, I'm so wrong. I will answer to anything. Yes. <laughs> One or two. One or two. So in episode five, you get to play somebody who's a real like pig, a real swine. Typecasting. Pork Polian. Yes, that's a that's a Pork Polion if you're nasty. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. so tell us about him and the Tunianists and uh, where you all fit in with this. The Tunianists, which we've heard whispers of once or twice, and in episode five we get to meet attacking the Periodontist. As Eric was mentioning before, they're a subtribe of Five Borough, the worship in the altar of the cartoon. Obviously, they were um, driven underground during the genre wars, supposedly to extinction. As we find them, they sort of devolved into this sort of crazy Mad Max escape from New York uh, um, thing run by this um, maniacal man who calls himself uh, Porpolion. Porpolion. And I think it's really interesting how the characterization of these characters, these cartoons, obviously played by humans, how they have evolved because they have been able to watch the cartoons Mm -hmm. since electricity went away or or whatever stopped them able to see it. And it's it's really fascinating the way that they just kind of in a Mad Max world evolve or devolve. Devolve is a good word. Yeah, it was a very fun role to tackle. Being a performer, my other side profession is a um, is a cartoon artist. Growing up, before I just I tell people before I decided on a stable career like theatrical performance, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a Disney animator. So I I am, I mean I love Eric, Andy, and Rachel. You know everything they do uh, sort of hits all of my favorite nerdgasmic buttons. Cartoons especially were sort of my thing. It's very fun being a visual person. And uh, as a performer, I approach things from a very physical standpoint. And the art form that is the podcast is neither much of those things. So trying to create that sort of uh, cartoonistry, if you will, just using the voice 
was an interesting challenge. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking about the physical nature of some of your other characters because they put us in a world instantly mm -hmm. by just by hearing and you, we get to see mm -hmm. what they're like physically. So tell us a little bit about the other characters that you played in this first half of the season and like, who's your favorite and what's the most challenging? Oh, oh gosh. Well, uh, um, apart from the assorted growls and groans and grunts in the background, uh, you may recognize me as a servant at the roost. Um, the Archduke of Plastoria made a cameo. Shout out to William Chatner there. Schmendrick, the stable boy, touches a very sensitive place in my heart. He's just fantastic. Most recently, Portpolian. And Portpolian's probably my favorite just because he is the most challenging. Because exactly what we were talking about was sort of, you know, as an artist, I guess the instrument I have to use in this is my voice. So it's sort of you know, using every bit of my range to tell out this kind of crazy, um, the world itself is a little heightened beyond reality when the tuniness themselves would be just extra AF. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so, so that's really fun just trying to get as much of my, you know, Port Polian himself is kind of... Uh, to me, he's sort of foghorn leghorn by way of Mark Hamill's Joker, by way of like the Skeksis Chamberlain, by way of Deliverance. Um, so, uh, you know, you got all that swimming around. There's no there's no other option but to have fun with it. Oh, it's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So, Lana. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. So you have played Velma Kelly on Broadway and most recently in the NBC Best of Broadway Benefit, which was brilliant. Loved it. In the world to come, uh, you play the very mysterious and reclusive oracle of my pill. Uh, well, I, yes. <laughs> Let me ask you, what's a question that you would ask this oracle and why? You know, I thought about that. And the question I would ask would be, would I live to be 100 years old? And healthy. And the reason why I would ask that is because I feel like we are on the brink of, of a complete change in the world. And it may take a while. And I would love to be a part in seeing that change where there's no race, there's no color, no religions, no problems, you know, and I just want to be here. So healthy and here. But I, I do believe it's going to take a, a little bit longer. So that's why I said 100. <laughs> Fingers crossed it's not going to take. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I know it is. You know, that's why I want to live to 100. <laughs> Tell me, how did you get involved with this gang? And, and what was it like to work in this project? Okay. All right. Chicago, Mike Leno. He was the drummer and we had this really great connection. It felt like we were in connection to I Can't Do It Alone. I don't know. Without him, he just knew it all. And he, he also loved, you know, my voice and I loved his artistry. So when the pandemic hit, he asked me if I was available and interested. And I was like, anything for you. <laughs> so I was able to meet Rachel and I got to meet and work amongst some amazing talent. And, you know, Andy uh, was, I was very fortunate to actually go and record at Andy's house. So it was, it, it was an experience. I was, uh, I was surrounded by some uh, beautiful, extraordinary, talented people. Well, welcome to the gang. You're brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I, I loved your performance, especially when you went up, as Andy was saying, 
earlier when he was writing that and we discovered that your talent is like, you've got to utilize that. I mean, it's amazing. What amazing talent. What, what, what I've been able to hear already, I'm like, oh my God, what amazing gifted people. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Do you? <laughs> this is the first time we're hearing the songs, the first time you're performing them publicly. There's such brilliant performances that they sound like they're, they're like in your bones and like it's so in your wheelhouse. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I figured when I got this song, it, it's very wordy and it, it took a while to yeah. get my mouth around the words itself and, and also keeping it simple. And it, but then it had to be more a bit more like the Ask the Queen field, you know, that kind of energy. And I'll also say the words that everyone can understand the words. Well, it came, it, it, def, it definitely, yeah, a little bit, but definitely came across. So, congratulations, everybody. So, let's talk about the development of this process. These are brand new characters to you, but they're they're really fleshed out. What was it like developing them? I also want to know which faction do you most identify with? Ooh, well, Tunianus feels very appropriate. If I had to pick another one, it would probably be Fansai. Those push all my buttons too. I was such a, a science fiction fantasy nerd growing up. You know, Lord of the Rings was my jam. I was reading way too much into Mary and Pippin's relationship than any <laughs> seventh grader probably should. But you know, you, you, you go into musical theater and that's that. Fansci is, it, uh, as a genre, just is so broad and expansive. You can kind of literally do anything you want. It'd be cool to hang out with those people. You know, I've been to two Comic-Cons. I feel like I could survive it. Survive. <laughs> what did you dress as at the Comic-Con? The first year I went as uh, Wiccan for the Young Avengers. <laughs> Shout out for that Division thing or whatever's coming out to Disney Plus soon. And the second time I went, oh, I went as Morpheus from the Sandman series because Neil Gaiman is my absolute everything. So Lana, which faction do you most identify with? I can identify with all of them in a certain way, but I really can identify with Yolanda. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I have all of her uh, nuances, I think, you know, character wise, you know, my father is Jamaican, was Jamaican, is, he's not here, but is he is or was, but I, I love, I, I love what she has to offer. And I'm like, there is a lot of, of that in me. Criterion, 100%. I'm a movie buff. So I, I love my indie films. I love my off the grid movies. So I would, I think I would be a criterion, which is what the periodontists tried to be anyway. I don't know why they kicked us out. The very audacity, really. Probably because of your grandmama. I, <laughs> whatever do you mean? We've met some of the other actors who've been part of this project and we've learned what their recording setup has been because none of us are in these you know, isolated recording booths. And we're not in a recording studio. We're making do wherever we are and creating art uh, in whatever world that we're currently living in. What was your recording situation like? One actor said he was in a playpen <laughs> with blankets all over him. Yeah. Well, like you know, Justin. that sounds like Justin. Justin was in a playpen. Well, I was oh. lucky and I had Andy. Andy was like, do you want to come up? I grabbed my mask and said, yeah, we were socially distanced. So I was lucky. I was Really, luckily, because I would have been doing it in my closet, which maybe not have, wouldn't have fit. <laughs> Honey, I hear that. I was pretty lucky, too. My, like, sort of home studio setup was kind of halfway in production when the world decided to shut down. Tail end of last year, I was starting to get more into graphic art design, some animation projects and everything going up. I'm like, I should just splurge on the stuff. And I had thought about, you know, oh, yeah, get into voice work stuff. I should get a microphone. I should get a ring light. That's what all the millennials are doing. And a little bit of this and that. And the universe 
team around March. Like, hey, no time like the present. So World to Come was the was the perfect excuse to level up my home office for sure. Thanks to Mike and others who I've reached out about. So what is the best thing to get for what I want to do? <laughs> artists helping artists helping artists succeed. Exactly. And, and Schmendrick apparently, well, like, that was my favorite. So it all worked within this world. You know, I lucked out. I actually was able to do mine in my bedroom. My bedroom has good sound in it. There was, however, a 9 a.m. call where I had to um, do war noises like early in the morning because I had to run out that day. So I was doing battles and struggles and yelling and everything. And uh, it was definitely nine o'clock in the morning. And I definitely woke up my roommate and he wondered what the F was going on. And I was just doing some sensible battle noises for the podcast <laughs> in the middle of the morning. Does anybody have anything that they want to plug? I've been very fortunate to collaborate on a lot of things with a lot of different artistic individuals in this times of theater on pause. I am collaborating with another sci-fi fantasy musical podcast with Gregory Van Acker and Joel Escher, who are also theater writers, called The Joining Place, which is a story of two young people um, from two different worlds who stumble upon a storage facility in the center of time and space. Like high fantasy, pseudo young adult fiction-y things with this amazing cast that is all LGBTQ, POC centric, really freaking cool. Um, And that is a joining place that is available on Bandcamp at the moment, I believe the pilot episode is. Sort of a, a work in production process, but for those of you who are fans of listening to to soaring, sweeping music and fantasy things, uh, check that out. Pretty good. I also want to plug Doodles by Scott. Oh yeah, because you've done so much artwork for us, including the um, the skyline that people can see in the logo. Yes, I, I am also a independent uh, cartoon caricature and graphic artist and animator and cartographer now you did our maps what do you need today <laughs> but you can find me uh on instagram is my predominant twitter the whole thing's um at doodles by scott the intersection where this fight happens underground between the tunianists and the periodontist where are we in the underground it is south of 14th street at which subway stop it's the a line the a line is considered to be the classier line the, the red line is considered to be a little gauche. It's more yeah. bourgeois, bourgeoisie. Uh, you got to add that to the next to the next map. That's a whole other map, the world below. <laughs> Lana, how about you? Do you have anything to plug? Yes, I'm actually working with Justin Sargent, Mark Wartella, Jackie Burns, and myself. We're doing this live production stream live of Tommy at the Tillis Center. And um, we're going to get a chance to, you know, sing some kick-ass songs. I as the Acid Queen. So I'm looking forward to that. And because um, we've already done it already, ready with people. But now because of the pandemic, we have to actually stream it. And it's going to be at the live at the Tilla Center. But the dates are to be announced. I just recorded chorus vocals for our next episode. So I'm going to have to go ahead and plug episode nine of The World to Come because it's some of the best music we've had. Okay, that's great. So uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, But join us next uh, time for another in-depth look into episodes seven and eight. And please follow The World to Come on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. It's at W2C Musical. That's the letter W, the numeral two, the letter C, and musical. And on Facebook.com at W2C Musical. And if you'd like to support the project and these wonderful artists who did this as a labor of love, 
please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash W2C Musical. And to find out more about the cast, the crew, and the creative team, please visit www.theworldtocomemusical.com. Short plug, we've all missed that Broadway has been closed, but Broadway Records, where I work, um, we have uh, created a sweepstakes to get people excited and to keep everybody's interest in uh, the Broadway and the live uh, performances. So we've created the Broadway Will Be Back sweepstakes, where you could win a week-long trip to New York once Broadway reopens, see seven shows, stay at a really fancy hotel, eat some eat at some wonderful restaurants, go on shopping sprees, great uh, attraction experiences, and it's all free to join uh, to enter the contest. You just go to broadwayrecords.com and enter the Broadway We'll Be Back sweepstakes. Until next time, I am Hugh Heisel, and this has been The World Behind, The World to Come. Thanks, everybody. Bye. to come.